This is Unfilter, episode 251 for September 13th, 2017. The Republican establishment is trying to nullify the 2016 election. That's a brutal fact we have to face. The Republican establishment. The Republican establishment. Wants to nullify the 2016 election. Trying to nullify the 2016 election. Uh, Absolutely. Who? I think, I think Mitch McConnell to a degree, Paul Ryan. They do not want Donald Trump's populist, economic, nationalist agenda to be implemented. It's very obvious. That's right, have we as we wind down the dog days of summer with the very last edition of Unfilter before we roll into the autumn season. Welcome, everybody, to the news that you should be paying attention to, the news from Unfiltered, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about that other news that you shouldn't be watching. I'm Chase, and running our very complicated yet interesting soundboard, <laughs> Mr. Chris Fisher. That's that's what you say about your friend who's a little bit of a challenge sometimes, right? <laughs> well, the problem is it's running Linux, isn't it? Oh, boy. Oh, oh there he is, ladies and gentlemen, top of the wait, show. hashtag triggered? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So this is uh, this is a packed episode this week. Two fifty ones where we stuck it There's all in here. So much. We had a little special edition last week while yeah. Chase was out, and uh, it's good. We have a lot to get to because I'm going to be hitting the road for New York City Why here soon. Why are you like you know driving across the country, Chris? Maybe I'm... maybe the unfiltered audience because you know some of them maybe just listen to this show and don't oh, yeah. listen to the other I stuff. What's going? Yeah, you know, I'm taking on? a stab at a little independent journalism. Uh, going what? out there, meeting up with some folk. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah. So yeah. like RT stuff. Yeah, well, funded by Vladimir directly. So a Vlad. little more, little little higher, more fluent than RT. Doesn't have to go through all the layers. Yeah. No, actually, I'm just going out there for the Ubuntu rally. I'm going to meet and greet with folks and That's uh, great. figure out how Canonical operates and things like that. And uh, covered it in my other shows. And so, I'm going to drive there. So when we talk about boots on the ground, your boots on the ground. That's true. I, I will have boots on the ground in New York. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, and so I will also, I'll be leaving the night of the 19th after Linux Unplugged. And if you want to follow my journey and maybe meet up with us along the way or in New York, rover. there may be a little bit of time. Yeah, go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash rover. I'll have a live tracker embedded there. That's awesome. Not the yeah. one that's embedded into you, the one no. that's on the car. No, that's the other cyber thing we're going to talk about. So, yeah, we do have a lot to get into. Yeah. Uh, Hillary's making her press tour, some big developments today in the Russia investigation. Yeah. And uh, it's only fair. It's only fair. We speculated about Hillary's health during the campaign. So today we're going to speculate about Trump's health. And then, of course, we'll wrap it all up in a high note. But let's start with the big cyber news ASL, buddy. of the week. Fox News alert. This is a Fox News alert. Officials at Equifax, one of the country's three largest consumer credit reporting agencies, says a cybersecurity breach of its computers could affect 143 million American consumers. Yeah, I bet it's more than that even. So this is a bad one. I mean, everybody's probably heard about I, it at this point. I'm hashtag super triggered on this. Just, Eesh. I mean, and, and honestly, every person listening to our show should be because 
not only that, you know, it's it, you, you have to go through these credit companies, right, to, to do anything anymore, you know, you, uh, to and buy they, a house, They buy already a car. screw their job up on average anyways. I've had all kinds of weird So crap. much corrections. There's yeah, another, there's yeah, another Chris W. Fisher that lives in Washington who yeah. didn't pay his car bill for a long time. And, you know, and the, the sucky thing about this whole ordeal is, you know, that we all know that the Social Security number was never meant to be a, a, an identifying number at all, uh, but it turned into that. And, and now look, look what happens. They, they have basically the hackers, quote unquote, have a complete dossier on you that could use your information to go out and open up an account anywhere. So I, you might be hearing from all these places to do certain things. Here is a unfiltered top tip for you. Go get your credit profile locked. You can do that. Equifax is not charging a fee for doing that, <laughs> uh, but do it with all three credit bureaus. It will lock down your credit so no one can take your stuff. Yeah, and I also have another. There's we actually I, we have two. So I have here's my first one. Uh, just steal someone's identity. <laughs> now everybody's identity is available. It's really easy. Uh, They're going for a great rate. That's right. Uh, you on the com- dark web. Yeah, you combine that with cryptocurrency. You can yeah. buy them on the dark web. Yeah, the dark web's really sneaky. Dark web. That's where things are at. Then, I, the then, I, then I use my Telegram. Yeah. To make the transaction. So then you just go by somebody else's identity. I don't really see what the right. problem is. And then, yeah. of course, here's the third unfiltered tip. Speaking of that dark web, there's a new hot product you might be interested in, Chase. Is your personal information already being Wait, stop, Chris, on the one dark web? As long as it's from Kaspersky, I will buy it. It is not. Damn it. No, uh, it's from Experian, one of Equifax's <laughs> The uh, competitor. Competitors. <laughs> is your personal information already being traded on the dark web? Find out with Experian. Right now, Experian is offering a one-time dark web scan completely free. Go to Experian.com slash scan to see if your information is on the dark web. Then learn this how is not real. can help protect your identity. This is so this real. This is not real. So look at them capitalizing on the whole dark web dark hype web. and then giving away a free scan just out of the kindness now, of their heart now, right now. Are they doing the same thing? Uh, as when you do a scan, it's just going to say that you're affected even though that you may not be? I thought about giving it a go. You know, so they could probably check some password databases, but something tells me they upsell you on identity protection, oh, credit. Totally. It's like it's like going to the website. This is a free online virus scan, and it goes, yeah, yeah you need this package uh, yeah. to save your computer. It's, it's Experian.com slash scan. And oh, my God. I saw this because I was watching the news networks, and, you know, they went to commercial, and I, I was like, I got to grab this just oh. to show you, like, this was running on news stories after they cover the uh, hack. This is the this is a commercial that runs. I this makes me feel good to know that I don't watch television much anymore. Like yeah. this, this is you what, know, this is what the this is the service. This is what people. This is the service the unfiltered show provides. Is although in this case, just to document it, I'm showing you how they do this. So they cover the story and then they roll this ad. And this is a legit Experian ad that started. I I, I even I even noted down it started airing September first. Which is just a little, you know, just a, just a couple of days ago. All right. Is your personal information already being traded on the dark web? Find yeah, out is. with Experian. Right now, Experian is offering a one-time dark web scan completely free. Go to Experian.com slash scan to see if your information is on the dark web. Wait. And it's got a couple that are sitting over their laptop nodding like, yeah. And do you know auditing the dark web. In back-to-back sentences. She says dark web. Yeah. It's like she's, they're really trying to, yep. is it on the dark web? Because Do you want to check if it's on the well, dark the web? the press is all about dark web, dark but web. But it might be on the dark web, so you might want to get it today. Go to experian.com slash scan to see if your information is on the dark web. Then learn how Experian can help protect your identity. On the dark web. Act now to help keep your personal information safe. Get your free dark web scan at experian.com slash scan today. <laughs> can you believe that's a thing? Can you believe that? 
So that uh, that cub is legit. Basically, yeah, you want to lock it down. You, well, that's credit report uh, yeah. access to yeah. your credit. But yeah, you want to down. You want to unless you want to go buy something, lock it down. Uh, or like I said, steal somebody else's. You can place a fraud alert on all three of your your credit reports, and then you can also lock your credit profile. Uh, most places charge about ten to fifteen bucks, uh, but uh, that that one company's uh, doing it for free because of obvious stuff. So there's a story that's brewing in the background that nobody's talking about um, because it's something they don't want the public to be too concerned about. And it's something that your unfiltered show has been talking about for months, and it's heating up right now. And it's the reauthorization of Section 702, Uh. which is the amendment to the FISA Act, which allows for the NSA and other intelligence agencies to swim through constitutional loopholes. Section 702 is an amendment to FISA, and it is up for reauthorization this fall. And so the new National Intelligence Director, Dan Coats, the guy that replaced Clapper, uh, was just recently telling uh, Congress how important FISA is. Here's a little recap. The Foreign Intelligence and Surveillance Act was first passed in 1978, creating a way for the federal government to obtain court orders for electronic surveillance of suspected spies, terrorists, and foreign diplomats. In fact, you may notice in his speech here that he's reading that he emphasizes foreign. Located inside the United States. <clears throat> When originally enacting FISA, Congress decided that collection against targets located abroad would generally be outside of their regime, FISA's regime. That decision reflected the fact that people in the United States are protected by the Fourth Amendment, while foreigners located abroad are not. So, you look, it's no big deal. FISA, it's safe. It's designed to protect Americans. There's nothing to be concerned about. All right. Well, unless you go by the former director of intelligence, James Clapper. However, there are cases when, to fully understand the context of the communication that has been obtained or or the threat that is posed, the consumer of that collected intelligence may ask the identity of the U.S. person be revealed. Such requests explain why the unmasking is necessary, and that explanation is conveyed back to the agency that collected the information. So there, this question is in the context of the Russia investigation. They're trying to get to the bottom of who the hell's doing all the unmasking and how come you don't know who it was and why they did it. It is then up to that agency whether to approve the request and to provide the identity. So, you know, under these conditions, if the right reasons exist and the agency approves it and everything gets documented, well, then we'll unmask Americans. And if a U.S. person's identity is revealed... That identity is provided only to the person who properly requested it. And the press, of course, via leaks, obviously. Not to a broader audience. This process is subject to oversight and reporting, and in the interest of transparency, my former office publishes a report on the statistics of how many U.S. persons' identities are unmasked. Okay, wake up. Here we go. Here's the number. Here it comes. Based on a collection that occurred under Section 702 of the FISA Amendment Act, which I'll speak to in a moment. And in 2016, that number was 1,934. So 1,934 Americans were unmasked uh, based on the data collected by the NSA loopholes. Two in a moment. And in 2016, that number was 1,934. On several occasions during... Now, what does that tell you? So 1,934 people were unmasked. Now, it's not millions. It's not hundreds of thousands. It tells you that it's probably very selective. So I would imagine a handful of those are potentially terrorists. But something tells me the rest 
are probably political blackmail. It's probably politicians Ooh. they're unmasking. Like your uh, Trump associates and your whatnots. Right. Now, there was a big conference going on uh, this last week. Big, big NSA show. The big National Security Conference. Next, the ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee and the vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee on the challenges facing the intel community. Congressman Adam Schiff and Senator Mark Warner also spoke about the FISA reauthorization and Russia's interference in the 2016 elections. Yeah, so you're a good buddy. My and, friend. And, and personal pal, uh, uh, Woody, a.k.a. Adam Schiff. Ability in terms of what we're paying for certain programs, uh, whether something that we've been doing the same way for a long time continues to be justified. So they all came out with one singular message. And this is a really long clip, so I don't know if I'm going to nail it here from Woody because he kind of rambles a bit. But I'll see if I can isolate it here. Time, human nature is human nature. Yeah, this is, this is just about it. This is what they all said. It's funny. It's like they all had a little meeting beforehand. We're, we're doing a pretty good job. So that sounds like a very serious, maybe not flaw, but, but uh, a default in the system that you have to... Let's see here. I'll see if I can find it. I'm sorry. It's kind of obnoxious. It's just a super long clip. It's accountable. Uh, no, the... Uh, I think a lot of the work that uh, needs to get done does get done, doesn't get the same attention, um, and, and is obviously uh, of, of vital importance. Uh, you know, I view our committee as having perhaps the most difficult oversight job in the Congress. Him, his committee being the Intelligence Committee, and here he's talking about 702. Because uh, when you serve on one of the other committees and you're doing oversight, if you're on the Transportation Committee, uh, and uh, the agencies come in and they're talking about high-speed rail and what a great uh, project it is and how well it's going and how it's on budget and on time and all the rest of that, there are any number of outside stakeholders who can uh, hold those witnesses accountable and can provide information to the committee and say, that's not true and this isn't right and you need to ask these questions. Uh, in our arena, where most of our hearings are in closed session, we don't have the outside stakeholders uh, to the same degree uh, able to give us input, insight, help us to ask the right questions, or know when we're not getting a complete answer. He is literally admitting that the intelligence agencies have no one to fact check them. That's and right. So they can he, they can tell him anything. This is a backdoor way of saying and, it. And this is at the same time they're trying to justify the reauthorization of something that is a loophole, loophole ridden. That whole uh, inner that whole uh, by the way this let me see pull, let me pull this up here again sorry. This whole conference was two hours. Tons of different people came out from the national security agencies, and they all had one message. The message was, well, so often we are distracted by immediate concerns that we don't think about the long-term issues. And what that is saying is, well, so often we're distracted by the recent abuses of Section 702, but the long-term thing is we really need that spying capability. We really need it because there might be Russians out there. There may be Russians. There, we may be seeing Russians everywhere, Chase. Uh, I know that I've seen Russians in a few places, and the State Department spokesperson may be seeing Russians, too. And that Russian may be your buddy. My good friend. Old Matt from the AP. Uh, man, I haven't heard from Matt in a while. I know. I've been looking for Matt, and I finally found him, and uh, you won't believe the reception he got after he came back. Are you aware of, in Russia or any other country, where U.S. missions yeah. that have been vacated have been searched by the host um, government, whether it's their F their version of the FBI or their version of diplomatic security. So he's asking about the uh, the seized diplomatic properties that we kicked the Russians out of. Yep. We're not giving them back their property, and we've been going through and searching them. So that's what he's asking her about. The host 
um, government, whether it's their F, their version of the FBI or their version of diplomatic security. I, or you no. know what? I, I don't know if you all are working for RT today or what, but I... I oh. oh! Just for asking a basic question. You know, you know that's... A, insulting to Matt and his many years of experience. Yeah, and he represents the AP, which and is a well-established. Very well-established, over a 100-year organization. And, you know, for for him to do an, a thoughtful, investigative question, and for her, very unprofessionally throwing him under the bus, that's bull. I'm sorry. That, that was, is, that is bad. rough, dude. That's very rough. bad. Whether it's their F, their version of the FBI or their version of diplomatic security. I, or you know what? I, I don't know if you all are working for RT today or what, but I... I <laughs> Did you hear that person say, excuse me? And then she looks and she... That nervous laugh like, oh, I've gone too far. I've gone too far. I, I, I shouldn't have said yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Come on. Uh, ha, 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 ha. Come on. Give me Come a real on. question. Come on. Yeah, you all yeah. are working for RT today or what, but I... I <laughs> no, 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 no. Come on. <laughs> See, I can, well, be, I can be funny too, Matt. Uh, Come on, you're joking. No, but the, but no, I mean, look, there's a broader. There's a broader I, I will ask here. that question. Uh, I don't know. I've been here four months. I don't know the right, normal process. Thank you uh, for asking. I don't know the normal process for uh, going through those facilities. Yeah. but I will look into that. Okay. You know where she worked before this? Mm. Fox. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Now there is some big breaking news today. Uh, over the last couple of days. In the uh, Russia investigation. Russia investigation. President Trump's former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, is still refusing to cooperate with congressional subpoenas to testify. Now, congressional committee is turning over new information to special counsel Robert Mueller about foreign contacts Flynn did not disclose. And our chief investigative correspondent, Brian Ross, is here with this story. Good morning, Brian, Brian. Ross. Well, good morning, Robin. The new allegations today against General Flynn involve what are being called more than a dozen contacts overseas. Now, none of them, ironically, are Russian. For a private business venture that congressional investigators tell ABC News Flynn concealed from authorities. Information that Congressman Elijah Cummins says has now been turned over to special counsel Robert Mueller. Here's what all the, here's here's my belief about all these guys. So all these guys are corrupt sons of bitches that are making back end deals with insider information constantly and then leveraging political power to get bigger and better deals and make more money and increase their scope of cronies. Like this is this is like this is politics one oh one. That's the business in DC. So when you just dig around under any of these guys' rocks, you start finding this stuff. General Flynn spent the summer in Newport, Rhode Island, seen in this photo, proudly posted by his son as the general tried to stay out of the headlines. It's a little creepy. It's a little creepy that they're doing this, actually. General Flynn, yeah. Brian Ross, ABC News. How are you? Oh, shit. Just wanted to ask you if you had anything you wanted no, to say. I sure don't. Everyone's asking what's no, going on I'm in, in, you in what, your case. I really, I really uh, you know, have the, a great time with my family. But Congress spent the summer gathering new information that Democrats say reveals Flynn committed criminal acts by omitting and concealing contacts and travel overseas, Uh-oh. which they say should have been disclosed for his security clearance. Investigators used Flynn's own words against him, reviewing speeches and news interviews in which he boasted of his overseas contacts. I have spoken to uh, friends in Saudi, friends in Egypt, friends in Kuwait, friends in Qatar, friends in the UAE. But Flynn did not list any contacts in those countries as required on his disclosure form. Oops. Uh-oh. You know, to be fair, maybe it was an online form and he typed it out. <laughs> you know, it was a PDF and you could only fill in certain areas. Oh, so. I hate that. According to congressional investigators. It's subject to a five-year oh. jail sentence. Y'all should be in jail for five years then. I think that's pretty serious. 
Flynn is also under scrutiny for his alleged role in a bizarre proposal to kidnap this exiled Turkish dissident. Now, 10 points if anybody can name this quote-unquote exiled Just dissident. 10 points? Yeah, well, here's the thing. is uh, He actually is extremely significant. He's, in fact, uh, he's supremely significant. Fatula Gulen. Natula Gulen is the guy that Erdogan blamed for the attempted coup of his government. Do you remember about a year ago on this show when we covered that the the the, uh, the Turkish government was uh, like there was like a coup and Erdogan was fleeing and it looked like he might lose power yeah, for I a remember bit. That, yeah, and uh, yeah, well, he blamed this guy. Erdogan blamed this guy for leading the coup, and people started saying this guy has CIA connections and all this stuff, and then, then the story got shut down. This exiled Turkish dissident, Fatula Gulen, from rural Pennsylvania, and sent him back to Turkey. Former CIA director James Woolsey told ABC News he was at a meeting in which Flynn raised the prospect. They were seriously considering a kidnapping operation for Gulen. Now, he has gone public with this, and they leaked to the press to, to sabotage the plan because Gulen was their guy. They were protecting their guy that they used to try to start a revolt in Turkey. And then when the Trump team just wanted to give him over to make nice to Erdogan, the CIA leaked that fact to the press to shut the whole operation down. And that's why the former CIA director is willing to go on the record to he talk about it. He was at a meeting in which Flynn raised the prospect. They were seriously considering a kidnapping operation for Gulen. And uh, I told them then that uh, uh, it was a bad idea. It was illegal. Because that always matters to the CIA. Lock her up. That's right. All at the same time that General yes, Flynn was right. serving. That's why the media hates him. The media has hated Flynn from the moment he said this at the, at the uh, convention. Lock her up. That's right. All at the same time that General yes, Flynn was right. serving as candidate Donald Trump's top national security advisor. That would be outrageous to talk about a kidnapping on American soil. The CIA and kidnapping? Just unheard of. <laughs> Never been we done. We tried to ask Flynn about the allegations. Now coming out of Washington, his family stepped in to protect him. But Thanks so much. Uh, the allegations, about are they Thank bothering you. you from a distance, sir? Thank you very much. They bother me from a distance. Thank you. Flynn's lawyer says his client was not part of any plot, any discussions involving a kidnapping. And in the end, the importance of these allegations may be that prosecutors can use them as a kind of hammer to cut a deal with Flynn. Yeah, this is what this is about, because all of this is like dealing with Ukraine and Qatar, people who a lot of politicians deal with. This is about leverage. And because that's not really enough leverage, they've got to they've got to flip him. He obviously knows something they need. So today they really turned up the heat. And now this breaking news. NBC News has learned that Michael Flynn Jr., the son of President Uh, Donald Trump's former national security advisor, is a subject of the federal investigation into Russian meddling. Oh, so now they're going after his boy. In the presidential election and possible collusion between Moscow and the Trump campaign. Oh, man. He's going to (laughs) flip. He's going to flip. He's totally going to flip, don't you think? Uh how long will it take, though, is the I question. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe by the end of the year? Uh, it depends. People might be busy reading Hillary's new book. Oh, that's right, because, you know, she is making the circuit now. What happened? What happened? Oh, what happened? Well, you know, it was Bernie's fault. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of my favorites. Um, and, and when asked, why are you blaming Bernie, her response is, well, the primaries happened. I have to talk about what happened in the primaries. What kind of answer was that? That is awful. He paved the way for crooked Hillary, she says. 
um, and blames the Bernie bros for never giving up uh, online and always going after anybody who supported Hillary. Whatever happened to personal responsibility and, and maybe maybe the fact that yeah. n- more people took the le- – at the time, they thought maybe the lesser of the two evils. They're like, well, we got Trump, we got Hillary. And maybe – or the fact that it was time for a populist candidate. Right. Or the fact that it was exposed that the DNC stacked the deck against Bernie so you could never really – secure the supporters no uh or i mean you know i mean in i guess in full fairness we should also consider hillary's point i mean maybe she's right maybe it's whitey will make america great again he was quite successful in referencing a nostalgia that would give hope comfort settle grievances for millions of people who were upset about gains that were made by others. What you're saying is millions of white people. Millions of white people. Yeah, millions of white people. Well, oh. millions of white people. So millions of white people are to blame. Now, what, uh, now, do you think that? So, because Jane Pauley threw the line out first, do you think she that was already pre-set up? I wonder. I think a lot of the interview was pre. Oh, totally. Yeah. But like j- the softball. Oh, you mean white people? CBS, oh, yeah, yeah, white people. That's what CBS does in all interviews. That's CBS a CBS cares. tactic, yeah. It really is. Uh, and, you know, specifically, though, I feel like blaming Whitey is, it's too broad. She should probably narrow that down to men, maybe. To the, the stereotypes we all carry around in our head. And a lot of the sexism and the misogyny was in service of these attitudes. Like, you know, we really don't want a woman commander-in-chief. We just didn't want. See, it's no, not we just that. Didn't, I, we didn't want that woman. We, we just didn't want chief. Hillary. Yeah, yeah, nobody did, and that was the, that's why the rallies. Nobody attended the rallies. That's why they at the end of the towards the end of the campaign, she was taking weeks off. She was taking weekends off. They were bringing Obama out. She wasn't energizing well, anybody. Well, don't forget the the health issues that you know that kind of got quietly slipped on the rug. Remember when she was dragged to her uh, chariot? Yeah, you yeah. Know? I mean. These, there's all kinds of things. There's like a that. lot of you know just odd, weird things that yeah. you know she's conveniently omitting and not talking about. And, oh yeah, and deflection sure. and oh yeah, it's very very frustrating. And there's there's one example in this interview recently that shows you how cocksure she was. She was going to win the election. She had this thing sunk. And I have to admit my own personal bias. When I heard this, I thought this might have something to do with her health. I don't know why, but that was the first thing that struck me. But anyways, she was so cocksure they were going to win the election that her and Bill bought a second house next to their house. What? Yeah, yeah. Clinton had been so sure she'd be the one giving that inaugural speech. You specifically bought this house for a reason. I did. And this was to be? Well, I, I know a lot about what it takes to move a president, and I thought I was going to win. The Clintons had acquired the house next door to accommodate White House staff and security during a second Clinton administration. And doesn't it kind of haunt you? No, I'm, I'm very happy we did it. At a dining room table in that house, she wrote about what happened. So she stays in this house now by herself, without Bill. Not creepy at all, totally not. And uh, they were going to rent it to the Secret Service. So this they they make it sound like they bought it for the staff. No, they they, they were going to rent it at because they did this in the past. So you think that they were going to turn this into a mini uh, Mar-a-Lago? They kind of actually. So they have. Yeah. So the houses are next to each other. So now the Secret Service has shut off the road. So they have a compound. And I wondered, like, if she did have significant health issues and needed to be at home where her nurse setup was, if this would be a convenient way to accommodate that. Now, mm-hmm. who knows if she has health problems? But, you know, you see the way she's walking there. It seemed labored. Um, 
Yeah, the book, I don't really have much more to say on it because I, I feel like it's her attempt to become politically relevant for 2018 so that way she can be some kind of influence either either in in funding or political power. The Clintons I, still need some sort of political capital. And so this is her setting the narrative of her version of history that explains away everything and I, explains why she's still a good political contender. I would love to hear from uh, Democrats who either didn't vote for her or maybe they did and now she's getting back into the race or trying to get back in into things because with the midterms coming up around the corner i i really feel like having her involved hurts a detriment yeah it hurts yeah because she is the epitome unfortunately of a losing campaign and then i know they're going to say well you know she had the popular vote or whatever but she didn't wear win where she needed to win Mm -hmm. and and that's where I think if she's she's trying to get back in the limelight, it's just going to hurt things. Yeah. I have some more on the whole commie stuff in the overtime, but I want to keep talking about the Russia investigation a bit. Um, And like I said earlier, we speculated in the past about Hillary's health. We're going to speculate a little bit about Donald Trump's health just to spread the love around because why not be reckless with it? And uh, but before we go there, let's talk about uh, let's talk about Trump's kid. That's also happening. Tinted windows block the view of Donald Trump Jr. inside this car after he avoided cameras at the Capitol for five hours today. Behind closed doors, the president's son meeting with Senate investigators looking into Russia's interference with the 2016 election. According to a statement obtained by NBC News, Trump Jr. said he took a June 2016 meeting with a Russian lawyer and others because he thought he'd get dirt on Hillary Clinton. Quote, to the extent they had information concerning the fitness, character or qualifications of a presidential candidate, I believed I should at least hear them out. What did you think of that? A very well-crafted response that we know is a little BS. Wouldn't like wouldn't you want to know? I sure would want to know. Well, we talked about this before. Yeah. When, when you yeah. when, when you're contacted by a foreign government, big red flag, and then you know, we've been talking about Russia forever at that point too. You know, I mean, Russia's been involved in stuff for years. Uh, not a good idea. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I don't care yeah. if you know if you have like you know. Well, th- that happened during what was it? Uh, was it the Gore campaign? Uh, or didn't we talk about that? Uh, a previous presidential uh, election where someone got it was like the book, the uh, like the it was like a tips book or something like that. That was okay. You're ringing off. bells. Yeah, but, yeah, no. But I mean, you you report it. Essentially, is the summary. You report it and you do it the right thing. Obviously, they didn't. Hmm. Okay, so a couple of big things around Trump happened this week. Um, the second one was Bannon coming out and I think shedding a lot of light on the inner workings of Trump and the early thinkings of uh, his office. But there's another thing, and this is the thing I want to talk about first, and that is speculation about dementia or Alzheimer's seems to be ratcheting up to a new pace, especially on Twitter where people are beginning to share videos that honestly do seem to be somewhat concerning. And so I've collected a couple of them, so I thought we could have a frank conversation about this. So uh, first, this is this was tweeted out. Uh, the tweet reads, I swear to God, Trump is sundowning. Here he is, confused, wandering away from his limo. Had to be redirected. Now, are you familiar with sundowning as a term? I have not. I guess it, it's like an Alzheimer's term where in the evening you start to become a little more like disconnected you start to become oh. a little you slur your words you wow. get yeah so this is a this is a clip of uh, Trump um around uh 5 p.m. eastern time coming off of Air Force 1 and uh you got to watch this so I apologize for the audio audience but I'll describe the scene to you Trump comes down the stairway here Now watch this He's supposed to be getting in his limo 
And uh, if you're watching the clip, it becomes pretty obvious where his limo is. His limo is directly in front of him at the bottom of the steps. Secret Service is standing there with the door open, saluting him. You would think Trump would be getting in the uh, the vehicle, but he begins to wander off, looking for his ride. What? Secret Service starts to notice. And somebody runs out to grab him. And they redirect him back to the limo. And then everything's fine. And then he yeah, gets- you, so, to be fair, okay, uh, how, are- long, how long was he in the air at this point? Well, and here's the other thing, is uh, there are sometimes decoy limos. Yeah, so he true. may have been going to the wrong limo. Right. It's possible. How many times, Chris, that you've traveled, I've traveled many, many times, and actually, I'm going to defend the, pre- the, the president I mean, that limo here. was parked legitimately right in front I of know. the steps with the door open. But you know how many times, honestly, though, man, I have, I have traveled and I have gone places, and you get off the plane and your mind is somewhere else? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, I yeah. will only okay. give the benefit here. So here's a, here's another one um, that uh, that people thought was a little strange. Uh, Donald Trump is at a press meeting with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu from Israel and uh, just sort of wanders off in the moment of it, leaving Netanyahu just standing there bewildered. So he stands up from his seat. They're supposed to pose for a shake. He just begins to wander off. And Netanyahu's awkwardly standing there. And then somebody tells him to go back and pose for pictures. Isn't right, that? That's a little weird. Now, maybe it's because he's a total noob. But yeah, he just gets up. Maybe a little ADD. And, and he's ne- like. Netanyahu taps him on the arm and puts his hand out as, like, let's shake hands. And Trump just wanders off. Okay, all right. So that's, that's strange. Netanyahu's like, dude, come back. Come back. Put photo. Come on. But that's nothing compared to this next one. All right. You're not going to believe this next clip. This is Donald Trump introducing Rudy Giuliani. And he can't find him. I would like you to tell me when you figured out where Rudy Giuliani is in the scene. Donald Trump is in the White House sitting at his table where he usually has like a lot of advisors. With that, I want to introduce uh, Rudy Giuliani. And he's going to be working with Jared Kushner and with Tom Bossert, who are also here. And uh, Rudy is very much of an expert on cybersecurity. It's been a very important thing to him. And- his chief of staff, Donald Trump's chief of staff, Kelly, is sitting next to him. And you'll see in a moment, Kelly points out to Trump where Giuliani is. To what he does. And maybe I'll ask Rudy to say a few words. Well, thanks, Rudy. Thank you very, very much, Mr. President. First of all, congratulations on... Okay, so do you know where he is yet? Uh, Let me guess, right next to him. I've never seen so much done Wait. in so short a Oh, straight in front of him. Oh, my gosh. He's legitimately sitting right across the table from him, eye, eye to eye. You know what it is? He's not looking at anybody. He's just looking down. I mean, go but if you re- rewind it back a little bit, and just, yeah, but he didn't even notice when he sat down at the table. Yeah, see, he 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 doesn't even. He's not even. No, his eyes are up a little bit right there, but he's not really paying attention. He's just. What about right there? It looks like he's looking straight ahead to me right there, doesn't well, it? We'll roll the clip in context. Okay, let's roll the whole thing. So yeah, yeah. With that, I want to introduce uh, Rudy Giuliani, and he's going to be. It's one of those. It could be like a blank look Jared up, you know. And See, with Tom Bossert. But he knows who Rudy Giuliani is. He knows this person. Yeah, I know. We're also all right, here. I'm, I'm trying hard here to Rudy be nice today. Cybersecurity, <laughs> it's been a very important thing to him and to what he does. And maybe I'll I, ask Rudy to I'm with our chat words. room on this. I'm with uh, Cubicle right, Nate. Right. I, I really think, and I was thinking this in my head, I think he's just tired. Or, yeah, or he's so overwhelmed that he's just heads down freaking out and he's not like 
But what uh, so a couple of things seemed undeniable. It is a dramatic and scary lack of attention to detail from the commander in chief. Yeah, that is apparent. So watch just one more time. So to make it clear, what happens is the camera zooms out and you realize that Rudy Giuliani is right across the table from Donald Trump. Thanks, Rudy. Thank you very, very much. Where is Rudy? Kelly tells him, where is Rudy? Yes, and maybe I'll ask Rudy to say a few words. Well, thanks, Rudy. Thank you very, very much, Mr. President. First of all, congratulations on what is, in fact, a historic uh, start of an administration. I've never seen so much done in so short a period of time. <laughs> that- um, he he I, maybe, seems really out of it, yeah, too. Yeah, I, I think he's just tired and Did you exhausted. see the way Kelly, like, when he responded to Kelly? Well, uh... I mean, there is one theory out there as to what's going on. So some people think he's sundowning. Um, Alex Jones has a theory. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. Is it about mustaches? They are putting a slow sedative that they're building up that's also addictive in his Diet Cokes and in his iced tea, and that the president, by six or seven at night, is basically slurring his words and is drugged. And uh, he now this is you go oh, by the credibility of Alex right. Jones. So, so he claims to have multiple sources, and so does Roger Stone. All right, so only for one sec. We all know already that Donald Trump is allegedly a huge fan of Alex Jones. I mean, hell, Alex Jones has had him on his show. They've talked about it and all that fun stuff. Do you think that President Trump has Alex Jones uh, media kind of in his like repertoire? You know, he watches Fox News. Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, because no. I was going to say, you would think that Donald would be like, whoa, whoa, what the no, hell? No, no, uh, I don't think so. I think... Um, it's very huge. I think... All this poison in my drink. No, what it is there is... Uh, what that is... Um, uh, see, how do, what would be the way to put this? Uh, I think what that is, is Alex Jones has been told by somebody that he actually thinks it's legitimate for whatever reason. Alex Jones, I think, believes it because I watched the whole damn clip. Wow. And uh, he goes on to say that they're adding it up over time, that it's addictive, and that uh, he urges the president to get a to get a blood test. This is the best, best Diet Coke yeah. I've yeah. ever had. Yeah. It says they're making it's a coop. It's a coop. That's what he says. Shadative that they're building up. That's also addictive in his Diet Cokes. Maybe that's why he seems so groggy. Maybe that's why. It was calorie-free Diet Coke. Yeah. It's the best pacing Diet yeah. Coke I've ever tasted. There is, um, There was something else really, really fascinating that happened this week. Uh, Steve Bannon went out to promote Steve Bannon and <laughs> sat down with Charlie Rose and had some really rather interesting things to say. I mean, I think I was, I was actually kind of surprised, and uh, so was Brywy, I think. There's nothing to the Russia investigation. It's a waste of time. What do you believe? You know what the National Security Institutions believe. What do you believe? What do you mean what they believe? We, we don't really, I mean, that there may have been, I, I think, what, look, what, I was no, there. No, it's a total you, and complete farce. Russian collusion is a farce. Okay. Former White House Chief Strategist Steve Bannon refusing to concede that Russia interfered with the 2016 election in our country. He sat down, as you saw, with Charlie Rose of 60 Minutes for his first on-camera interview since leaving the administration. President Trump has likewise declined to acknowledge that Russia meddled in the election. Forgive me. That's despite intelligence showing the Kremlin tried to influence the outcome. Since leaving the Trump administration, Bannon has vowed to go to war for the president. He's 
using his position at Breitbart News to further that end. But he hasn't refrained from taking his former boss to task over a few things. One of the more notable... I want to stop here. So the media is portraying this as uh, Bannon going after Trump to a degree. Um, and I don't, I don't necessarily agree. So I'll play a little bit of what he says here. It doesn't seem super extreme to me. Uh, it seems pretty low key. Uh, but this is they're being they're they're portraying this as him going after Donald Trump here. Someone said to me that you described the firing of James Comey. You're a student of history, as the biggest mistake in political history. That would be probably that would probably be too bombastic even for me, but maybe modern political history. The White House today is standing by the president's decision to fire James Comey. And uh, so I I sat down, watched this whole interview, and there was one part that really stood out because I think it's multi-layered. First of all, it's, I think, the truth. Second of all, you got to consider the source. This guy worked inside the White House, so he probably knows what he's talking about to some degree. And then third, I think it reveals a long-term game plan by Steve Bannon. I think we're going to hear a lot more from Steve. Republican establishment is trying to nullify the 2016 election. That's a brutal fact we have to face. The Republican establishment. The Republican establishment. Wants to nullify the 2016 election. Trying to nullify the 2016 election. I don't know why he's doing this. I don't know if he's just trying to, trying to prove to the world that Steve Bannon is a great strategist. I don't know if he's trying to position himself as a political leader. I hope not. Because in this interview, if you watch in its entirety, and we have it in the supporter sync, you can see he has very flawed logic about some things, especially when it comes to immigration. But in other things, I believe he is very right about his assessment. And so it's kind of a scary mix because he's very intelligent. He's very well read and researched. He understands political cycles and historical cycles very well, which is a very good tool in politics. So he's able to use the populist movement in a way that's very clever. So he has the potential to gain political popularity. I don't think he's necessarily a good person, though. Um, and we cover some more in the overtime. But here, here's a little bit here about uh, about the establishment against Trump. Nullify the 2016 election. Trying to nullify the 2016 election. Right. Absolutely. Who? I think, I think Mitch McConnell and to a degree Paul Ryan. They do not want Donald Trump's populist economic if you look at the uh, sorry to keep interrupting but if you look at the curtain colors uh behind bannon there and then look at the curtain colors behind charlie yeah well first off it's a much tighter shot on yeah, steve yeah. But a lot of people are pointing out that it seems like the colors in Bannon's shot are much more saturated maybe that some people think that so, so you can find youtube videos online where people are showing like well, color manipulation and, and and we've also shared on this show that there's been times where bannon's been in black and white and looking like awfulness mm-hmm. so i mm-hmm. mean it seems to be something they like to do. Yeah. Economic nationalist agenda to be implemented. It's very obvious. It's obvious as, it's obvious as, it's obvious as night follows day. Give me a story that illustrates that. Well, Mitch McConnell, we first met him. I mean, he, was, he, was, he, he said, I think, in one of the first meetings uh, in Trump Tower with the president as we're wrapping up, he basically says, I don't want to hear any more of this drain the swamp talk. Flat out. He goes, a guy up on Capitol Hill can't buy a Coke unless it's got to be reported. He says, I can't, can't hire any smart people because everybody's all over him for reporting requirements and, and the pay, et cetera, in the scrutiny. You know, you got to back off that. The drain the swamp thing was, was Mitch McConnell was day one, did not want to go there, wanted us to back off. You are attacking on many fronts people who you need to help you. 
to get things done. They're not going to help you unless they're put on notice. They're going to be held accountable if they do not support the president of the United States. Right now, there's no accountability. They have totally, they do not support the president's program. It's an open secret on Capitol Hill. Everybody in the city knows it. And so, therefore, now that you're out of the White House, you go into war with Absolutely. Him. Absolutely, he says. You know, and to lean on to this point, if he says, you know, the, the, uh, the follow the president's agenda, well, that's up to the voters to decide. If the voters of those Republicans in their respective districts uh, and if those voters believe that their representatives are doing their job, then it doesn't matter if they support the president or not. I mean, really, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to the voter, ultimately. Yeah, I would imagine. So he's making the calculus that uh, that the populist movement isn't stopping anytime soon. That's the calculus he's making. Well, The only way that changes is when the populist movement puts in people uh, in Congress that want to follow that. And until that establishment changes, you can't, quote unquote, drain the swamp anyway when those establishment candidates are still in there. Yeah, as he seems to have learned because he's out now. I yeah. mean, he can say whatever he wants. Well, but. yeah. But, I mean, it's a very it's it's a very easy, easy road to see, Mr. Steve Bannon, is that you're not going to get people on your side if you have people voting them in the office that are still pulling the, the, the traditional uh, party line. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of him, though. Oh, Absolutely. I think that's he's sort of the media's new like budget Cheney. He's like he's like the like the cheap Cheney. Um, <laughs> and uh, so he makes an argument in his interview that uh, that nationalism is you know he he makes an argument for nationalism. Oh well, he talks about you know the whole immigration thing. And uh, I, I watch the Daily Show and uh, Tre- <laughs> <laughs> and Trevor Noah uh, he had a spot talking about how he actually they actually hired a genealogist. And they traced back to like his great great grandparents were immigrants from Ireland. So, oh sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, so for I mean, yeah, he's just playing up to the crowd right now. Just yeah, playing up. Uh, I mean, I feel like he's pretty passionate about it to a degree. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, totally. I, I mean, mean, you could see the passion. There's no yeah. doubt there. I got a little more for the overtime, so let's punt the rest of the overtime because um, there is a we have a big high note this week. So oh, I, nice. I do want to I want to go through this because we have many things to cover, especially. Uh, because there's a possibility that um, uh, we will miss the next couple of weeks of the Unfilter show. So brace yourselves for this, because I'm going to New York. Uh, I obviously, in fact, I'm not, and, I, and I'm not even taking the RV this time. It's just we're loading up in Hadia's car and hauling. Now, before, real quick, before we head into uh, our Patreon Club 33 segment, I, I want to uh, uh, publicly announce on this show uh, that uh, I have now been followed on Twitter by Anthony Scaramucci. By the mooch. By the mooch. You should uh, go check Chase's Twitter feed. That's right. It. And it's legit. It's not a bot account. It is totally legit. He, he probably followed... thinks you're Devin Nunes. No, no, he doesn't. No, you don't think so? Actually, here's the story. Real quick story. There's a story? There is a story. So last night, he tweets out, yes. And I was just like, what's this in regards to? And I saw that he was quoting a tweet saying, oh, my God, Anthony Scaramucci just followed me. Is this legit? Not a bot. And he actually replied personally and said, yes, it's legit. Wow. And so, and so I replied. Let me drop my phone. I know. I'm sorry, buddy. Oh, you're going to get a new iPhone X anyway, right? Uh, so, <laughs> so anyway, I replied to that tweet and I said, but you don't follow me. And I did an animated GIF of Pikachu. Oh, man. You, you e-pressured him into following you, dude. And, and guess it what? And it, it worked. worked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to dignify so, that with an answer. Yes, That's amazing. Yeah. So very awesome. Happy Moochie Day. That's great. But now it's time. It's time for the sack. To reach in deep and pull out some messages from my sack. It is Unfilter Day Club 
33. Hey, guys. How you doing? What's on your mind? And we have a few people. First off, Baker the Clerk writes in and says, Hey, guys. Just wanted to send in a quick note because Chris asked if we had any thoughts on it, if people actually understood that DACA is more about the economy and not about humanitarianism, humanitarianism, it would be a non-issue. But we see the media using angle of dreamers being taken out of the country because they they know that imagery will make people react vehemently. OMG, OMG, OMG. That coupled with people's disdain for the president makes a good scapegoat. That all makes a nice cocktail of news to sell to the average consumer. Hopefully that wasn't too convoluted. Keep up the great work. Reclaiming my time. Appreciate you. No, you are not reclaiming your time because we have two more in Club 33. Veratuna writes in and says, hey, oh boy, what a week so far. So Putin saying okay to UN peacekeepers in Ukraine has ruffled some feathers, notably Ukraine, who despite saying they should arm OSCE missions, which by definition are civilian missions, they are now objecting to UN peacekeepers because Russia wants it. There is no pleasing these guys. On other fronts, though, Syria is making all kinds of headway, and ISIS are most definitely on the run. But run where? East to Iraq or west to Turkey? That's how we we roll. Closer to home, Brexit is taking all kinds of unexpected turns, not least of which is EU president's aides saying, quote, join the euro to stay relevant in the EU after Brexit to newer members who have yet to not join. So, you know, he's trying to throw the carrot out there. No pressure to them. And now over to you, Chris. I think it's wasted effort. Is that it? Is that no, it? no, that's what he said, actually. Oh, oh, wow. That's and nice. I know. And nobody ever tosses to me. But no one tosses to me, and I read these. Well, though, because you don't have to be tossed to you. You're reading them. All right, moving on. Fair enough. And I don't know if this is Ion or Exxon. But hey, guys, new Club 33 supporter here from Down Under in in New Zealand. I can't do that. Sorry. No, that's That's, that was that was terrible. We're going to totally cut that out. That's out of the live show. Uh, While the world covered many months worth of a clown fest that was the U.S. election, (laughs) our election cycle has only been covered for a few weeks with Election Day on the 23rd. But it's already tiring, like how the one of the party's leaders is using a man's death to push their health policy. Yeah, we've heard that before. Not much on my mind this week, but I like to say I appreciate the hard work you guys do. Thursday morning unfilter is the show. That's right, because it is tomorrow. Is the show that I look forward to every week. Looking forward to the supplemental show starting up eventually. By the way, Holy I love Australia. I want to like come down and visit. I want to go to you PAX say Australia? Australia. I thought you said New Zealand. Oh, Australian, the, the whole Commonwealth down there, the whole the whole area down there. But New Zealand, Australian. Hello, I love the Kiwis. You guys are great. All right. If you guys nice. want to be a part of our awesome Patreon, head over to patreon.com slash unfilter. You can get on the waiting list right now for Club 33. Yeah, yeah. But even if you can't get into Club 33, we appreciate any support you guys give. Even if you can't afford to give support, you know, throw a retweet out there, put a comment on a on a iTunes review, just the general message that of getting helps. out the show. That Absolutely. Yep. Also don't forget the Discord chat room, discord.me slash Jupiter Colony, and you can find the unfiltered channel in there. Bing. So there is a possibility if the moon and Saturn and Mars and Earth align that Chase is thinking about rolling out a uh, patron only special show. 
maybe with a few clippuses, depending on if, if uh, producer Matt could throw them a few, and you guys would have like a like a like a like a town hall style unfiltered, right? Which would be epic. It's something I would love to listen to on the drive back. So we'll, we will not have our regularly scheduled show, but there there are things in the behind the scenes. Bruins, we're trying to make something happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm hoping that I would say one of my goals for 2018 is that we get funding on this show and on the main Jupiter Signal patron channels to the level where when I hit the road, I can I can afford for gas in the RV. I can afford to park somewhere where I know I will have Internet. Like I can, I guess, just take the assurances that I would need to be able to produce from the road. Right. And this show is absolutely the largest, largest challenge from a production standpoint from the road because of all the clips. But, I, you know, in the past we've been willing to do – and you guys have seemed to be pretty receptive to us doing um, special editions or discussion episodes. And we tried it once, and I thought it worked really good when I was in Arizona. Do you remember Well, that? yeah, and, and not only that, I mean, that worked very well, and the patrons love mm-hmm. the exclusive content. Mm-hmm. It gives them some special stuff. So I know so, we absolutely. can do it. I know we can do it. So I'm hoping – that's definitely one of my goals for 2018 is to make uh, travel for work less – impactful on work yeah so i can continue to produce from the show from the roads and stuff because technically it's capable but now it's a matter of well really this one is about budget you know the uh the rv depending on the passes and whatnot on average will probably get eight to nine miles per gallon and uh hadia's ford focus gets 35 36 miles per gallon so the economics to drive to new york with all the equipment that we're going to bring instead of shipping it when i fly it just this is how it it worked out yeah um, and uh, so it does mean it'll mean it'll be some downtime for this show, but uh, we'll be keeping an eye on everything. Producer Matt will continue clipping and chase me able to maybe able to pull off a patron special. Yeah, we'll episode. see if we can pull that off. And uh, just to find out about that, just check the, check your Patreon feed uh, throughout the week. We'll keep you posted. You'll probably get an email notification if you got to that. All right, so let's do the high note now. We're we're marching towards uh, Cannabis Day, where Canada will legalize pot. And uh, different, uh, what do you call it, Chase? You're our local Canadian expert. Is <laughs> Ontario, is that a Providence? Am I saying, what is that? Y- yes, on, uh, Ontario. Ontario. Is a province. They And they and province, and they, of course, uh, kind of like a state, not, but not Not really. the hospital, not Providence, the hospital. Not Providence. Um, they province. have announced their plans for how pot's going to be sold in their neck of the woods, and it is a recipe for disaster. Yeah, it's not going to go good. Tanya Siloom was forced to shut down her illegal marijuana dispensary, and when the sale of recreational marijuana becomes legal next year, she won't be allowed to get back into the business. It's a monopoly. They're just trying to get as much money as they can. In Ontario, only the government will be allowed to sell non-medical marijuana. Can you hold for a minute here? Now, this kind of already happens in a way with liquor sales, like in British Columbia, yep. for example, where they have state-run, basically, liquor stores. We had that here in the state of Washington, actually. We had state-run liquor stores. So maybe this is Canada's way of dipping their toe in the water? This is Canada's way of making a little little bit off the top. You mean, off a, little, you mean a little bit of green? Yeah, seriously. But the problem is... is or plastic, because they have plastic money. The problem, and one of the things we've talked about, I, I, I totally understand that the money is tempting. But it's also a huge industry opportunity. It's a huge business opportunity. They're trying to lock out everybody. Assuming legislation goes through starting July 1st next year, in Ontario, anyone 19 or over will be able to buy marijuana in dozens of new, freestanding stores run by the Provincial Liquor Control Board. But the stores won't look anything like this. In small, marijuana-only stores, the product will be treated like tobacco, kept behind counters. 
Ontario says it is determined to drive dealers and illegal shops out of business. See, but this is the problem. So they're only going to license the liquor stores, a certain amount of liquor stores. They're going to control the flow, they're going to control the grow, and they're going to control the sale. And the problem is, is it's going to be an anti-competitive product. It won't... The, that without a private industry around it, you don't get the competitiveness that makes for a great product, and instead people just go to the black market, which does have that dynamic. Mm-hmm. So your real competition, which they have to keep in mind, and I don't understand why it takes some podcaster to explain this to them, your real competition <laughs> is the black market, not, not small businesses. With strict enforcement, and by locating its new marijuana stores near where illegal dispensaries have popped up. We want to send a signal to the marketplace that distribution and retail is going to be a controlled model. It's going to be controlled by the government. Another part of that control, the government says, will be keeping prices low enough to encourage people to buy marijuana legally. But some believe Ontario's plans will fall apart immediately. Your lineups are going to be ridiculous. People are not going to go stand in line for four hours to get low-grade legal cannabis when they can just call their regular drug dealer that they've been calling for 20 years. It's overly restrictive. I think people will just opt out. This expert also believes Ontario's strategy will fall apart, just not as quickly. I think, you know, it's it's. I wouldn't declare um, a disaster yet, but it's concerning to yeah. watch these implementations sometimes start to get screwed up. Yeah. And this this is where the government are, is seeing, and the Canadian government is seeing the big, big potential money because they've already seen it happening down here yeah. in the states, and it's not going to work because the the private we are we've already seen it with the liquor control board here. Yeah, they license it, but they don't do the store stuff, and I think that's what Ontario should try to go for. Now, um, if if there wasn't all of these crazy, uh, crazy, crazy, crazy stories from the hurricanes, I think the uh, the wildfires here in the Pacific Northwest would likely be a, a pretty big national story. It's popped up from yeah, now and again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, there's an angle to it that actually impacts the high note. Surprise, surprise. Mm. Yeah. Smoke is also having an impact on a local crop which relies on adequate sunlight. NBC5's Emily Beale explains. At Butte Creek Farms in Eagle Point, marijuana spans the land. They have 20,000 marijuana plants growing. Usually the peak time for those marijuana plants to blossom is in the summer sunshine here in the Rogue Valley. All right, all right, hold on, hold on. <laughs> How great a story is this, Chase? Right, let's, let's, How great? Scale of I, 1 to 10. I wanna, is it like an 11? I, I want to pause this for a minute. This is here in Oregon. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> so first off, Mass, come on. Come on. You're not, you're not going to get a contact hide just being a, a quick spot yeah i love it when they go out in the marijuana fields and they put a mask on as if the plants are burning right now now <laughs> if there was a big bonfire okay i'd give you that but come on or the smoke is so bad up there uh but if the smoke was so bad you would you would be able to see some of it there in the camera picture so it's well actually if you look at the trees in the background oh, no you can yeah you but can i mean see, like you yeah. would you if it was so thick that it'd be bad to breathe you could actually see it closer up to the camera right. too. Like, just uh, doesn't sound good. it's so good though do you think the wireless mic's in the mask no, I can, I can see it on her collar. Oh, okay. But with the sun almost completely covered by smoke from fires across southern Oregon, it's affecting how their crop is being grown. And they estimate the financial damage could be huge. The total financial hit could be well over a million dollars for a farm of this size. Butte Creek wow. Farms opened just over a year ago and is already one of the biggest marijuana farms in the entire state. Their decision to be an outdoor farm as opposed to a greenhouse farm was intentional. I wonder, a serious question if anybody knows, uh, 
are they are they are they looking for people to work for them? And if I could park my RV <laughs> on their farm, I could just park there and come work. I could I could give up this podcasting thing in a heartbeat. If you're looking for somebody to implement an IT network it's, for your pot farmer, I'll uh, just go out in the I'll go out in the fields Chris, too. This is Southern Oregon where internet access is probably restricted. I, I don't to need like it. No, I, no, I'm upload. saying I'm saying I'm saying if somebody can. comes to me with a job that that pays even reasonable and lets me park on their land, right. I will become a pot farmer and I will give up this podcasting thing. All right, I'm well, looking at this in Southern Oregon and I'm thinking, why aren't I there just trimming pot plants? If, I mean, that, if that happens, it, Chris, I'll become a Linux expert okay. and, uh, we'll, and yeah. we'll make it happen. Yeah, right, and then right. we'll, get to, we'll get to like a $10,000 on filter milestone. If we reach that, we'll come back. <laughs> Otherwise, p- pot farmers. Farm, as opposed to a greenhouse farm, was intentional. That's why we're an outdoor farm is we get the free sunshine. And they rely on that free sunshine to keep their business afloat. They need that spectrum to get all those nutrients to continue to grow and flourish like we want them to. But the lack of sun from the thick smoke is affecting the plant's growth. Is what helps the buds grow bigger, getting all those spectrum from the sun. We're missing out on so much of that right now that it's really causing a damper in the plant's growth cycle. So the main uh, visible effect is that they're not as large as they should be. Um, so, for By example, way, he has like- a mask on, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, may- maybe it's a maybe, requirement. Maybe it is the smoke, because look, now in this shot, the smoke does look yeah, a little looks more closer. Bad. All yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, so this should be bigger. This should be bigger right now, yes. Bud is Butte Creek's biggest moneymaker. A pound of it can cost up to $1,200. Multiply that by the bud they get from each of their 20,000 plants, and the potential oh, financial man. loss could be massive. In Eagle Point, Emily Beal, NBC5 News. So now they're having problems because of the amount of sunlight and, and moisture that they're having mold problems. So like the smoke cleared, but now they're having mold problems. Wow. Now, one of the things you and I have discussed a lot about the rollout of cannabis legalization, either for medical or for recreational, is that it's still a federal crime. Yep. And as a, as a result of that, the banks want nothing to do with it. No money. Zero. And different people have come up with different ideas. Hawaii today is launching a cashless payment system for pot. And I want to know what you think about this for medical. Hawaii is now the first in the nation to have a cashless payment system for medical marijuana. Medical marijuana buyers will use a mobile debit payment app instead. CanPay will allow customers to generate a one-time use QR code which connects to their checking account. That code expires after 30 minutes. So there's like a transaction log every time you go refill your pot cash thing? Like that like is they, a, that could be easily identifiable. <laughs> Jeez, uh, Mr. Fisher, looking at it here, you went to the pot store every day this week. No, uh, no, no. I was just paying a friend of mine. No, <laughs> you went to a friend. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that so much. No. But it is, it is interesting to see what people are coming up with as a workaround. They say it's to make people safe. And not just the consumers, but also the workers there that have all that uh, scary cash. What's a transaction fee? What's a minimum balance? Uh, I mean, there's so many. Have you heard uh, much about legal problems with all of the cash? I mean, we have a shit ton of pot stores in Washington. The only legal problems I've heard about is, you know, uh, the people breaking know, in, stealing people cash, people trading in, trying to steal the cash. How, how common is that, though? Like, I've heard a few few examples, but examples. I, if you think about how many pot shops we have versus, I, I've probably heard that story once or and twice. And actually, there are pot shops that I know of. That, that that will take payment as a like a debit or whatever. There's ways that hmm. they can work around it that don't have to use some sort of weird third-party system. 
So uh, this last one is really just for a smile. One of the things that we've always noticed is people love to to work in the puns, especially oh, the yeah. news media. They love to work in the puns about their pot coverage. But it's not just news. It's not just news coverage Chris, and bloggers. Chris, be blunt about it and just oh, play it, okay? Oh, my gosh. Sometimes it can be lawmakers, too. We all can have fun. Check time. Well, in case you missed it or whiffed it, press releases from oh, members of uh, Congress can be very dry. Well, in case you missed it, Senator Hatch's staff tried to shake it up a bit today with a few pot-worthy puns in the press release on the senator's medical marijuana bill. Now, remember, this is Senator Orrin Hatch, conservative, Republican, Mormon, Utah. Here's part of the release. It's high time to address research into medical marijuana. Our country has experimented with a variety of state solutions without properly delving into the weeds of the effectiveness, safety, dosing, administration, and quality of medical marijuana. You should be using All dings. the while, the federal government strains to enforce regulations that sometimes do more harm than good. To be blunt, we need to remove the administrative barriers preventing legitimate research into medical marijuana, which is why I've decided to roll out the MEDS Act. I urge my colleagues to join Senator Schatz and me in our joint effort to help thousands of Americans suffering from a wide range of diseases and disorders. In a Washington at war with itself, I have high hopes that this bipartisan initiative can be a kumbaya moment for both parties. So by our count, that's eight pot puns in six sentences. <laughs> oh, boy. That's good, right, buddy? That's pretty oh, good. Man. Now, listen, there is a little more show if you want to stick around. The overtime is coming up. You've heard me mention it. There's some goodies in there. But I understand. If you're more of a lean, mean, veggies kind of machine and you got to go, well, then we have a little bit of parting wisdom for you to take with you along your journey that is life. That's Mr. Right. Chase. Yes, Chris. Share with our audience... The, the knowledge that they need, the links that they need, the insights that could provide them with the resources to accomplish great feats. How do you like that? Oh, I love it. Hey, I wasn't you, sure how long I hey, could keep it going. If you want to follow me on Twitter, because Anthony Scaramucci does, at Nunes is the place, N-U-N-E-S is the, the place to go. By the way, yeah. have a Discord as well, ggtvdiscord.com. Nice. Also, nice. youtube.com slash geekgamertv if you want to check out all the packs coverage that love I did. It. Chris, you're going to be vlogging. Yeah. I know you are. I'll vlog the New York trip at youtube.com slash Chris Fisher. Love that. You can follow me on the Twitters at Chris LAS. Double love that. It's my personal account. And then the network for like announcements, reschedules, things of that nature at Jupiter Signal. That's the Twitter account you follow there. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar for our live times. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash contact for our feedback. And of course, that Patreon at patreon.com slash unfilter. That's right, man. Eat, also, by the, hey, by the way, Gillamore Nunes on uh, this week's upcoming user air. Oh, that's right. You're yes. going to be on the most recent one. I think it'll come out like on Friday or Saturday. That's a great, Chase great show. joins us for Love user it. air. So get, Love it. get more Chase in your face on user air. Well, Chris, have a safe, safe trip to New York. Thank you, sir. Thank we'll you, sir. see you right back here soon. As, soon. 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 We'll go with that. Yeah, that works. <laughs> Time. OMG, OMG, OMG. 
It might just be a cyber attack. Either that, or it's the overtime. Slash unfiltered. And I know that each of you understand you have the power. I'll stay woke. Reclaiming my time. Thank you to our new patrons this week. Ready to go over at patreon.com slash unfiltered. This is an audience supported show. Made possible by your contribution. Thank you to Bob, Steve, Joe, Jack, and Tommy. Thank you for supporting the show this week. Signing up our new patrons for episode 251. This segment is dedicated to you, to all of our sponsors. And for those of you that are freeloading, we love you too. Don't worry. It's also dedicated a little bit to you too. I can't help myself. I love you, boo. All right, so you guys know what's up if you've been listening to the overtime segment for a while. We like to spend a little bit of time here sort of dismantling the donor class of the Democratic Party, the corporatists in the Democratic Party. We always start, of course, with our own Nancy segment, where Nancy Pelosi, the head representative of the Democratic Party, puts her best face and mouth forward and manages to just slur it all up. Okay, so here we are. Lin-Manuel. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Lin-Manuel Miranda is the great creative talent. Sorry, what? Lin-Manuel Miranda took the story of our founding and imbued it with a fresh life and infectious spirit. Lin-Manuel is continuing. Lin-Manuel, I am truly, truly convinced. We celebrate Lin-Manuel Miranda, a man Uh gifted by the muse of history. Thank you, Lin-Manuel. Thank you, Lin-Manuel Madonna. No, thank you, Nancy. So great. Okay, so uh, she's doing great, sounding really good and articulate, really representing the Democratic Party, and uh, she's out there. She's out there also getting claps for Obama. And if you don't know to clap, she'll tell you. That's one of the things I love about Nancy is um, she might not nail the delivery. She might not walk the audience through the punchline, you know, like like somebody who's maybe well-versed in public speaking might, where they would speak in a manner in which it elicits claps. You've seen this famous famously recently if you just watched the iphone event this week apple is a master at talking up and down and pausing for the big blow away clap and then everybody right on cue right on cue everybody right on cue and you you often get practice at this technique the more you speak in public the better you are well, unless you're Nancy. Then you just kind of ram it through, sort of like when you explain a joke. Blessed with a large LGBTQ community and a strong Woo! history of legacy, of advocacy for equal rights. Legacy. And we were very proud of the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and President Obama was so very much a part of that. Now, let's hear it for President Obama. So there she is uh, asking for claps. I immediately was like, oh, God, Nancy, don't do that. But then she just doubles down. That's an applause line. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll tell you when it's an applause line. Oh, good. kind of in sync. <laughs> and now we're fighting for the, something called the Equality Act. 
a historic comprehensive bill, and I will continue to do everything in our power to end discrimination in the workplace and in every other aspect of a life that ensures that all American families are viewed equally in the eyes of the law. That's an applause line. And it goes on like that. It goes, I will, I'll spare you the rest because I think you get the point right now. Uh, I don't mean to sound like Steve Bannon. Maybe we've heard enough from old Steve-O this episode. But uh, I think he's got a point when it comes to the Democrats. Here's the problem with the Democratic Party. The problem with the Democratic Party, there's no Breitbart. The problem with the Democratic Party, they <laughs> haven't had a civil war. And you know why? The financial crisis shows you that. Obama and there were guys in that administration that understood that they had to go and hold these people on Wall Street accountable. And they blinked. And Bernie Sanders had every opportunity. He knew about the Clinton corruption. He knew about how the Wall Street crowd has a lock on the Democratic Party. And he did not have the guts to take on Hillary Clinton in that primary. He had every opportunity. He had all the information. He did not have the guts to take on. And the Democratic Party has not taken on. No, wait, the the huffing and poses and the Rachel Maddows, they're just cheerleaders. Oh. They're just cheerleaders for the donor class of the Democratic Party. Oh, there it is. And until they vet that, until they have their civil war, they'll never be competitive. And by the Boom. way, there's guys over there that know that. They know that. They have the same problem with their establishment we have with ours. Oh, now that was an interesting line there. Hmm. Please clap. Please clap. So I thought we'd let old Steve uh, blow off a little steam with that one. Let's move out, though. Let's move out. I, I feel like uh, I don't I don't want to just I'm trying to I don't want you guys to think I guess this is the way to put it. I don't want you to think I'm just picking on Nancy. So I want to move on. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm making a point, but I don't have to uh, dwell on it this week. Let's sort of branch out from there. Let's talk about how Democrats are celebrating Hillary's new book. Just celebrate. Democrats are said to be dreading next oh. week's release of Hillary Clinton's book about the 2016 election. Sections already leaked feature criticism, sometimes harsh, of then-President Obama, Uh-oh. Vice President Joe Biden, and Bernie Sanders, among others. Chief Washington correspondent James Rosen takes a look at what we know about what happened and reaction to it. With her third memoir entitled What Happened, Hillary Clinton's account of her life story now runs 1,709 pages and includes stinging criticism of her 2016 Democratic primary rival, Senator Bernie Sanders. His attacks caused lasting damage, Clinton writes, making it harder to unify progressives in the general election and paving the way for Trump's crooked Hillary campaign. He didn't get into the race to make sure a Democrat won the White House. He got in to disrupt the Democratic Party. Oh, man. Isn't that something? So uh, what Hillary is doing is she's taking the fact that she could never convert some of Bernie Sanders' biggest fans, like the Bernie bros, which, by the way, were not just boys, not just uh, bros. She's taking that little bit of information, that little tidbit, and she's using that to sort of twist the knife into Bernie. In some of the excerpts I've read, Secretary Clinton takes responsibility for the decisions of the campaign. But what were those decisions? What were the thinking that went into them? And how do we make the most of that and learn from what happened in 2016 as we approach the midterms in 2018 and the next presidential election in 2020? And this is why I harp on the Hillary stuff, because uh, she is obviously, I mean, it's clear that I think she's positioning herself to be relevant in the 2018 election, not to run but to influence, to finance, to have a a degree of power so that way the Clintons retain political capital. And she's willing to take down her own party to do it. (laughs) Bannon would say, you know, you need to have a civil war. And that inside, but when he he says civil war, what he's saying is the party needs to have a fight internally to figure out 
who's going to be running the thing, whose values they represent, and if they're going to take advantage of this populist movement. Uh, I mean, again, I'm not Steve Bannon's biggest friend, but I think he's right there. I think he's right there. We talked to his followers. And we went back on the campaign that following. You know, we had the, we had the, uh, the Sunday night, we had the... Um, we had the, uh, the Now, he's trying to change the topic here. You can hear he's stammering around a little bit. He's trying to change. He's trying to pivot from... Charlie just asked him a question about the Axis Hollywood, grab him by the peed tape. And he's trying to say, you know, we just got back out there and kept hitting it. And then he pivots. We had the, we had the, uh, the Sunday night, we had the, um, we had the uh, debate in, 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 in St. Louis. The famous debate where we brought the women, the Clinton accusers. The Clinton accusers. And you can see he's proud of himself here. He wanted the conversation to get here eventually, so he seized on the opportunity to direct the conversation to the Clinton accusers. Now, why would he do that? Because on the surface, it seems like a rather reprehensible thing to do. So why would he do this? In, in St. Louis, the famous debate where we brought the women, the Clinton accusers. That was your deal? A hundred percent. You wanted to do that for a while? A hundred percent. He wants the world to know what a strategist he is, what a fighter he is. He's, he's, selling, he's selling Steve Bannon right here. Why? Because I thought if you're going to go after Donald Trump for his, for his words, let's have the Clintons defend Clinton's actions. Those women wanted to confront Clinton for the longest period of time. And yes, I was very, prepared. Looking for an I was very prepared to give them the opportunity. And boy, we had one in that debate because we had, we had the trap set. And they walked into it only at the last second. Did the, uh, did the debate the, organizers? Debate organizers. We almost had a fistfight, and it, it, it was between you and whom? Well, it was fair. It was really our lawyer, uh, Don McGann at the time, and I think Ferencoff and uh, and McCurdy or whoever the guy is. It was, it was the hard because what they had allowed to happen with Mark Cuban at the other debate, they had promised us that Mark Cuban wasn't going to be in the line uh, the, uh, line of sight. That Cuban was going to be four or five rows back because Cuban had made a big deal. I'm going to get in Trump's head. And at the very last second, they put him right down there. And I went to those guys and I said, because Rudy and I had cut the deal beforehand, I said, how was this? And they said, well, we can't control it. We don't have security control. It. We know a guy can do what he wants to do. So when we tried to pull the same thing, and I had the women, the accusers, sitting right in that VIP box. Bill Clinton had to walk right past them, right past them on national TV. He is proud of himself. He is proud of himself for that. Look, at he's got a little smile going. <laughs> Bill Clinton had to walk right past them right past him on national TV to start the debate. And guess what? They were going to confront him. What does this say about Steve Bannon? He's a good counterpuncher. I'm a fighter. I'm a street fighter. Okay? I'm a street fighter. And if I'm in a fight, I'm going to win. That sounds like Donald Trump. <clears throat> I'm a fighter. I'm a fighter. I'm a street fighter. Yeah, you know, I'm sick and tired of talking about Hillary's damn emails, aren't you guys? Just to crush Donald Trump because she was a policy wonk. She knew this. She was a much you think experienced Comey made a difference? Now, here we go. So this is, of course, topic du jour right now amongst all of the intellectuals and t- chattering boxes in D.C. Is did Comey actually affect the election? Because, of course, Hillary's making that big push right now, as we've talked about. The Comey part, irrelevant. Totally, really? totally irrelevant. 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 Maybe reinforce a little bit her corruption, but it was irrelevant. The emails. I feel the same way. I really think it was irrelevant. Now, she's gone as far as saying, well, what it did, this is literally Hillary Clinton, what she said is, it let husbands tell their wives that, ah, she's just going to jail. And so husbands manipulated their wives into voting for Donald Trump. And that's why there's so many women Trump voters. Because Comey 
psychologically gave men the privilege to tell their wives what to do, and their wives, because of Comey, listened and voted for a completely different candidate. They realigned their political beliefs, their entire political value. They reassessed the identity politics that the left was playing and decided my identity is now with a completely different set of moral beliefs. And overnight, well, actually not overnight, but on that fateful day that Comey reannounced the investigation, they switched their minds because their husbands made them. That's the Hillary version, and I'm not even shitting you. I'm not even shitting you. That's actually, that's actually in there, in that book, in interviews she's done. It's actually her version of it. And all along, I thought, at worst, at worst, all it did is at the wrong time, it reminded the public that she associates with a bunch of scumbags. That's what it did. That's the most damage. And if that was enough to make her campaign fall down, then it was a weak campaign to begin with. And that's just the facts. That's, that's Chris facts, at least. And those facts work pretty good for me. Irrelevant. Maybe she, reinforce a little bit her corruption, but it was irrelevant. The emails. It was Clinton cash, and I think the, 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 the greed and the venality of the Clintons that, that were much bigger and the, the negative side. That's what we always focus on. That's what I say. You don't need these meetings, these meetings these guys took. You don't need meetings. You had all the information you needed. The Comey thing, I think, was background noise. Total. Complete. You, no, we, no. Never, we never, on the campaign, we never focused on it. America didn't care about the emails. They didn't care enough. They didn't care as much as I cared. You know why the emails are important? The emails are important because of Clinton Cash. The emails show you they're smart. Those emails are the personal emails that show all the all the coordination with the yeah. speeches and all the all the favors that done. Remember when she went into the when she went into the uh, into the Secretary of State? Who were the people that didn't trust her? Obama. Who you can say a lot about Obama, and I do, but he's he's an incorruptible guy as far as standard political corruption of cash, okay? The Obama guys and John Kerry on the, on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, what did they make her do? They made her have that agreement that before Bill Clinton or you guys do anything you think, you're going to notify us first and get our permission, right? She had to sign a document that said that. That wasn't the right. That was Obama and that was John Kerry as a sine qua non of her confirmation. And by the way, after she signed it, she never gave him anything. The 33,000 emails has all the Clinton cash stuff in it. So I would love to see the 33,000 emails. But was essential? No, it's not essential because you can make the case how corrupt they are without them. Boom. And that's how I see it, too. But she can, you know, she can blame Comey all she wants, I suppose. She did have some very powerful allies. So let's move on from Hillary. Let's, let's move on by talking about one of her allies. Let's talk about Google, which has recently gotten the attention of Cucker Tuckerson. Well, Google is beyond doubt one of the most powerful companies in the world, probably the most powerful country company in the history of the world. Kind of funny he calls them a country. It's in some ways it feels like they are the future countries. <laughs> That's Google and companies like Google and Apple. Probably the most powerful country company in the history of the world, more powerful than most countries. It's the key player in search engines, online video, online advertising. The company is dominant. Is it a monopoly? Sure looks like one. Luther Lowe is... Let's stop here. So I want to talk about something that uh, you probably are aware of. It's been affecting the Unfiltered show pretty significantly recently. Uh, the, the entire Unfiltered back catalog, with a exception of maybe 20 episodes, and that is a guess, 
um, has been demonetized by YouTube. Now, we don't make a significant amount of revenue from YouTube, although I'd always hoped that maybe as independent news um, appetites grew and people went to YouTube to find it, that we may eventually have a a moderate, nice, differentiated income source from YouTube, but I, that seems less and less likely uh, these days. It's bad. And so those of you who like to watch the full live stream that I post for free to all of our – anybody, not just to our patrons, but to anybody at patreon.com slash unfilter, you've noticed it's been weeks since I've been able to post an episode because they keep blocking us. And um, they will flag us now not for copyright material – but for just being deemed inappropriate for advertisers because we talk about news. Or maybe because we don't slam somebody or we slam somebody. I don't know. And it's, it's sort of killing this. There, there is this. There's this growth trajectory on YouTube that I actually I like. And it's independent news. Long form. There's various incarnations of it. Maybe you're the most familiar with the Young Turks or Philip DeFranco. And there's others out there that are Beam is a new one, but they're not really they're not really quite attached to YouTube because they have CNN money. But this hostility towards news coverage is hurting this genre growth, and I think it's hurting discovery. Think of YouTube as a platform to search for stuff. It's the number two search engine in the world, not Bing. It's YouTube. People go to YouTube to find stuff, everything from how to fix a sink to information about what's going on in the world. doesn't mean they stay there. In fact, a large percent of, of our audience finds these shows on YouTube and then decides they want to listen, so they go get the feed and they subscribe. Or they go get the download, so they have them all offline. But they discovered us because of YouTube. So it's an important platform to be on just like iTunes is, unfortunately. So it really does kind of matter how Google is screwing over independent news specifically. And uh, Cucker Tuckerson went a little bit further into this particular aspect by interviewing somebody who considers himself a liberal. So he, he is not necessarily – so it's not necessarily just right-wing news commentators. Now, he's, he would be considered by today's standards far left. He considers himself a classical liberal. And he went on Tuckerson to talk about the issue. And I think it's interesting. A lot of people now make a living off of YouTube. It's the world's most popular video site by far. It's a subsidiary of Google. Increasingly, though, Google seems to be letting politics dictate who is allowed to make money from their platform. Dave Rubin hosts a very popular show called The Rubin Report. It's online. YouTube hosts it. Recently, though, a whole bunch of Rubin's videos were demonetized. That's the word YouTube uses when they tell you you can't make money from them. Same thing happened, like I just mentioned, to the Unfilter Back catalog. I know it's, it's happened to other, um, I guess you call them YouTubers, YouTubers that I've talked to as well about it, and YouTubers that I've followed who talk about it on their channels. This is a widespread problem. Anymore. Why did that happen? Dave Rubin joins us tonight. Dave, it's good to see you. So explain what exactly happened. This has happened to other people. It sounds ominous. What does it mean and why they decide to do this? Yeah, well, I think most importantly, you know, the reason I agreed to do this with you tonight, Tucker, is that I am on that platform, the YouTube platform, and I want that platform to work. I want it right. to be all right. the things for all of the creators who put their content out there across the board politically or whether you're doing beauty videos or sports videos or politics videos or anything else. I want it to be treated fairly for everybody and be transparent in what it is. Uh, so, you know, the word demon is in demonetized, and I can tell you as someone that's dealing with some of this stuff, 
that it, it appears at least that there's some pretty shady stuff going on. Uh, you know, look, I don't want to fight Google and YouTube. You know, there's a biblical story of David versus Goliath. I, I don't want to be Dave versus Google because it probably won't work out as well for me. But my show, uh, we do a talk show based on big ideas, sort of in an old school Larry King-esque uh, style. And I talk to people all over the political map. Many of them are conservative friends of yours. And then I have progressives and lefties. And we do, I talk about religion and science and all of this stuff. And our videos, our back catalog, just just lately, I was off the grid, which is where this beard came came from for a month. Uh, but just this guy's just running his mouth. Lately, our videos, almost our entire back catalog, has been demonetized. And I'm talking about videos where we're talking about God and morality, or we're talking about basic stuff about the election, or even today, the video that I posted one video today. It was with a YouTuber by the name of Phil DeFranco, who's one of the original YouTubers. The guy's got about six million subscribers. A really, really interesting, uh, interesting guy that I'm sure many of your audience knows. They demonetized that. This is with one of their top creators who's been on there forever. So, look, I don't know exactly what's going on behind the well, scenes, we got a but statement. I know that a lot of their creators are upset. Well, I, I think that's right. And we got a statement from YouTube, um, and it contradicts what you just said. They said, over 90% of the videos on the Rubin Report are fully monetized. The remaining 10% <laughs> are not because they contain discussions of adult topics. Uh, so Google's trying to call him out as a liar. Pornography, ISIS. These are topics which many advertisers find objectionable. What's your response? Okay, I, look, I, you know, I said I don't want to do a David versus Goliath thing here, but I mean, that's just simply right. not true. I'm telling you right now, as we went to air, I have an iPhone here. It's a very fancy thing. The video that I posted <laughs> this morning with Phil DeFranco, I can tell you about videos that I did with many people who are mainstream people who appear even on Fox, like Ben Shapiro and Larry Elder, Ayan Hirsi Ali, right. who I think is the greatest human rights hero that we have on Earth today. She is. I, I agree. could talk about Bishop, Bishop Robert Barron from the Archdiocese in L.A. where we talked about religion. People I agree with people I disagree with. By the way, I don't think I'm necessarily Wait, being and, and, and those here. videos have been this demonetized? Is, this is across the board problem. Yes, absolutely. The videos you just three- Hmm. Hmm. See, I don't think I necessarily believe that. Those videos have been demonetized? Now watch. That's the board problem. Yes, absolutely. The videos you just mentioned? So I don't know... Yeah, and I'm not Tucker. I'm not. I'm not BSing you here. I mean, I'm not. I even asked no, my guy right before you. we started. Can we make? Can we? Yeah. Can we make sure? So I don't know why they issued that strange statement. I'm glad that there is some communication, though, because unfortunately, they, the lack of transparency there. It took me about two years to get on the phone with them. I finally did about two weeks ago and didn't really get any answers. Scary. Apparently, Jason Whitlock got demonetized too from Fox Sports, who's a frequent guest uh, and a friend of this show. We're yeah, going to get to the bottom of it, Dave. Dave, good luck. I mean, we're certainly rooting for you, and I hope you'll come back when you get to the bottom of what's going on. Somebody needs to keep track of what Google's doing, and we hope to do that on this show. So thanks a lot. Thanks, Tucker. I appreciate That's it. an interesting conversation there at the end, isn't it? <clears throat> Somebody needs to keep track of what Google's doing. Although, yeah, I kind of agree. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's Tucker. Uh, I don't think so. So um, uh, folks like uh, Tucker may be critical of Donald Trump tonight on their broadcast. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I don't, uh, I don't. I don't, I don't tune in before the show to Tucker, <laughs> but uh, Trump signed a, a pretty big disaster relief package, a big package, and not all the Republicans are happy because it's pretty much the Democratic plan, and it's $15 billion. President Trump and his full cabinet are meeting at Camp David this weekend. He's going to get a full briefing on Irma and the federal response from the acting DHS secretary at the top of the hour. Let's bring in Eliana Johnson, national political reporter 
for Politico. You have to imagine one of the things that the cabinet is going to be talking about is this deal that the president made uh, over uh, the past couple of days and then signed when he got there on Friday. I think this was a peace offering to start making deals with the Democrats. Something, Trump, something with Trump has changed, and he wants to start making some deals. I mean, he's always said about making, he's wanting to make deals, but I think this is like uh, his peace offering, perhaps. What do you think, uh, Discord? Do you think this is... Um, I think this is like a Trump peace offering to the All right, I'm going to go with your plan against some of those in my party. I'm not going to be a hard nose. We're going to cooperate on this. We're going to make a big deal about the cooperation. I don't know. What do you guys think? Over really the objections of his t- Treasury Secretary. I was going to say, I have to wonder if they're going to, if uh, Steve Mnuchin's going to be weighing in on that in front of the full cabinet. Well, uh, we heard he certainly weighed in in the Oval Office. So whether or not he uh, continues his objections, uh, we'll see if we get any reporting on that. Uh, doubt that'll be in the readout. Big picture, though, you've got Hurricane Harvey in the pictures that came in and that were splashed across national. All right, we're going to stop there because uh, that's no longer up to date. Uh, Momo in the uh, Discord says that, well, he just wants to disable anything. He just wants to disable everything to get everybody on the negotiating table. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Um, so I, I'm going to play this clip for you, not so much for the first part of it, though I feel like I have to play the first part of it for the part I want you to watch to make sense. So the, the, it's really about the second half of this clip that I like. As we told you last night, almost 150 million Americans, possibly you, may be affected by a massive cybersecurity breach at one of the nation's top credit monitoring companies. If you have a credit report, you're probably one of them. The high-tech heist highlights the vulnerabilities of the American consumer to robbers who use keyboards, not guns, to take other people's money. Ooh, I'm liking this high-tech heist, robbers who use keyboards, not guns. These are good, 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 good. Now, we're going to get into the DHS here, good old Department of Homeland Security. I want you just to keep one fact in your mind while you watch this entire thing, okay? The DHS didn't exist before Bush Jr. Or there was no DHS. The DHS has not been around your entire lives. Well, I don't, probably, maybe some of you actually. But most of you, it has not been around your entire life. It is not an institution of the United States. It is not something that has kept our homeland safe for generations. We didn't even call it the homeland, with, with a few exceptions. This is department. Look, just watch this clip. Just. Tonight, Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Harridge looks at what's being done to protect your financial identity. Ugh. The DHS to the rescue, guys. More than 143 million Americans, the victims of one of the worst cyber breaches in history. For them, it is a worst-case scenario because the stolen data includes social security numbers, credit histories, even driver's licenses. What experts describe as a roadmap for identity thieves, likely based in Eastern Europe, hiding on the dark web. One out of two Americans will be victimized uh, by identity theft as a result of this hack. Yeah. Uh, It will take them years to to recoup uh, their credit scores and get their identities back. According to an Equifax internal investigation, the data was stolen between May and July. The FBI is looking into the breach. Millions of times a day. Now they say the FBI is looking into the breach, but then who do we go to to help us feel better and look at all of the equipment in this room for you audio listeners Picture NASA Control Center, but longer in horizontal with uh, screens that line the walls, projectors, Dell monitors, two per station on expensive monitor arms. This week, Fox News went inside Homeland Security's CyberWatch Command, where preventing breaches like Equifax is part of the core mission. Boy, it all looked like a bunch of bullshit screens. Assistant Secretary Jeanette Manfred says the team includes all levels of government as well as private industry. 
So they so then they go have uh, they have this person walk B roll. So they're having a camera person zoom out as she walks down the aisle of computers, looking like she's a boss. Terry Jeanette Manfred says the team includes all levels of government as well as private industry. But when we're in an incident, this is where we would manage an incident, and we do that collaboratively because the federal government is just we can't do it alone. The team is. What does that even mean? What is that? What is that? So it's, are you serious? This is her. This is the assistant secretary of cybersecurity. What? What? Uh, hold on a second. This is where we would manage an incident, and we do that collaboratively. Okay, this is where we would manage an incident. We do that collaboratively. Oh, collaboratively. Okay. 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 So I, I, I totally understand what all that means. Because of federal government, is just we can't do it alone. Because of federal government, we just can't do it alone. That's the piece. We do that collaboratively because the federal government is just we can't do it alone. What the hell does that even mean? Does that mean that the DHS would prefer to go it alone? Does that mean the DHS would prefer to not have to collaborate, but because of the federal government, they have to? Is that what she's saying? Like, oh, we would rather just own this shit, but because there's all these other asshole agencies, you know, collaboration. An incident, and we do that collaboratively because the federal government is just, we can't do it alone. Or is she saying that the federal government has all of these different agencies that all want to uh, dominate the cyber domain. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I am a 13-year-old boy sometime. <clears throat> they all want to dominate in the uh, cyber domain. And so they're all competing. They're all going off doing their own thing, discovering different aspects of the same case, working on the same thing, whether it's their jurisdiction or not. And you need one agency with a lot of monitors to bring it all together and pool all that knowledge and then do nothing with it because it's not like the CIA or the FBI is going to take orders for one hot second from the pudgy little DHS. Give me a break. So what? then what? So then they just put it all up on their screens and sit there and go, oh, we did a good job. Look at that. You got it up there on the projector. Good job, everybody. Government is just, we can't do it alone. The team is constantly pulsing networks to test for vulnerabilities, then advising how to patch or reduce the risk. In many cases, it comes down to a single employee. So DHS is essentially just doing uh, Kali Linux, uh, OpenAV and Metasploit scans, OpenVAS and Metasploit scans against people all the time. This is what they kind of, you know, like, well, nobody will work with us. So what we're going to do is the old uh, cybersecurity sales tactic. We'll do a vulnerability assessment and then we'll come to them. Uh, excuse me. Did you know that you have port 80 open and uh, you are advertising your Apache version? Uh, Russian hackers could use that to compromise your network. To test for vulnerabilities, then advising how to patch or reduce the risk. Oh, man, that sounds like private industry's job to me. In many cases, it comes down to a single employee, like this phishing scam. By clicking on the link, the user reveals login and password information and puts the entire network at risk. Just because the user fell for that malicious phishing email and open that attachment, we now not only have complete access and ownership of the system, but also the files within the system. He's like in some sort of conference room where they've turned off the main lights and brought in colored lights to make this look awesome, but he's not actually like at his desk doing this. It's weird. But many businesses don't use advanced cybersecurity systems oh, no. that reduce the damage because of cost and they have older networks. Experts say the companies are lacking. Technologies that allow you to suppress an adversary when they're inside your infrastructure so they can't leave your house with all of your crown jewels. The Homeland Security cyber team is already focused on the 2018 midterm elections, describing it as one of the highest priorities on par with oh, protecting boy. the power grid, Brett. Good story. Catherine, thank you. You're so you know what that means? They're going to be doing a lot of vulnerability scans of state departments again. We're going to hear more about this, just like we covered last time. 
You remember when they did this during the main election? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, you know who could use a little cybersecurity help, though, is uh, Senator Ted Cruz. I, I'm sure a lot of you saw that he was trending on Twitter yesterday. <laughs> Let's talk about the tweet. At Ted Cruz, your Twitter handle, uh, liked a post that was clearly porn. What happened? Oh, look, it was, uh, we had a staffer who accidentally hit the wrong button, and, and it was a screw-up. I, I- that is the most rehearsed, wow, watch him. Watch him transform here. He's looking down. He's closed his eyes. He's switching into rehearsal mode. Watch him. You can watch him transform right in front of your face here if you're you're on the video version. And if you're on the audio version, Ted Cruz, literally, in this interview right now, his face is down towards the floor, chin down, eyes closed on an interview. And he, he will go into prepared mode all of a sudden. His entire... Way of sitting transforms, his his face transforms, and he then he just latches onto this rehearsed line and he just lays it in over and over again. Oh look, it was uh we had a staffer who accidentally hit the wrong button and, and it was a screw up. I, I will say Twitter went crazy with it, it became trending. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as we found out about it, we pulled it down. So what happened is uh, old Teddy was spanking the monkey on nine eleven and he clicked like on a porn video where a woman's walking in on a guy fucking a lady and i don't know if i don't i don't know what the fantasy is supposed to be but you know it was like in the fringes of kinky territory i would imagine and uh, of course you know got to save that one for the spank bank later on so he hits the like button cuz that way he can keep it on his profile somehow i i obviously not using incognito mode it was linked to his twitter account light goes out on twitter and if you went and looked at his like feeds for a few hours, I believe it was more than a few hours. Big old picture of a dude screwing a lady and, a, and another lady walking in on the situation right there on Teddy's Twitter feed. And uh, got to be one of the best things I saw all week. I got to say, you know, this, I, sometimes covering the news can be rough after a while. It can wear you down, it's, especially when you watch a lot of it. And so this was really the highlight of it all. Um, and, you know, we've heard rumors about old Teddy. We've heard about how he likes to roll, about how he likes to talk to women. I think it, you know, very possibly could have been him. Very possibly could have been a staffer. Uh, the the thing was is, it would be easier to believe him if he didn't come across as such a damn liar. And and uh, it's generated a lot of amusement. It, it has has prompted a lot of jokes. I I, I understand that. I, I saw one person joking online that that if only this had happened during the presidential cruise, might be in the White House. Right? <laughs> have you identified the staffer? You know who it is. We have looked into it. Yes, we we have identified it. We. Pulled so this is right there, I think, a tell. He's trying not to lie. So he doesn't actually answer the question. We have looked into it. Yes, we, we have identified it. We- so it is a lie of omission here. We pulled it down. It was, it was an honest We pulled mistake. it down. It was an honest He's going back into the line again. She didn't ask about pulling it down. She didn't ask if it was a mistake. She asked, did you identify the staffer? A simple yes could have done. It was not, it, it wasn't malicious. It wasn't deliberate. It, it was a screw up. Is the staffer being punished? I, we, ha- we have talked with the staffer. It's not going to happen again. Hmm. That's again, not answering the question. Another lie of omission. It, 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 it was a screw up. Can you tell me this? Again with the screw up. Staffer's name? I, I'm not going to out, out the fella. I mean, oh, it's a guy now. It's a guy. I'm not going to out the fella. Can you tell me the staffer's name? I, I'm not going to out the fella. I mean, this we're we have dealt with it internally, but I'm not going to throw someone under the bus. Can you definitively say I'm not going to throw someone under the bus? Which to me would seem to usually when you hear that term, that's usually a term for blaming someone. <laughs> that it wasn't you. Uh, it was not me, 
and it's not going to happen again. This stat, this was a screw-up. Do you appreciate- Oh, and again with this is a screw-up. You see, this is the kind of shit that makes it sound like a damn lie, Ted. Makes it sound like you were spanking the monkey on 9-11 and you wanted to save it for the spank bank, and you accidentally tweeted it out like an undereducated technical idiot. appreciate the irony that you once defended a Texas law banning sales of sex toys. No, actually, actually, I, I mean, that, that's a good example, Dana, of act, where the media runs with things that are just totally false. What's what's false about that? So what is false about that? So I've read on online, mm-hmm. you know, Cruz supports banning sex toys. No, no, no. That, that's complete sales. I, re- I just I reread the brief this morning. So the sales. He's passionate about sex toys, guys. Love it. All right. I spent five and a half years as the solicitor general of mm-hmm. Texas. I worked for the attorney general. The attorney general's law job mm-hmm. is to defend the laws passed by the Texas legislature. I get it. Yep. One of those laws was a law restricting the sale of sex toys. Mm-hmm. It was a stupid law. Listen, I am one of the most libertarian members of the Senate. I think it's idiotic, uh, but it, it's an opportunity for knuckleheads in the media to claim, oh, oh. isn't this ironic yeah. that, that Cruz wants so to So there goes the media blaming. I can't believe I'm going to say. People okay. ought to be able to do I what they want. I can't believe I'm going to ask you this. But so you're officially saying Ted Cruz is okay with people buying sex toys? (laughs) I am saying that consenting adults should be able to do whatever they want in their bedrooms. And, and, uh, you know, the media and the left seem obsessed with sex. Let people do what they want. Let's talk about tax reform. Yeah, they're the ones obsessed with sex, Ted, not you. (laughs) By the way, somebody should tweet him how to use incognito mode. That boy could use the 411 on that. Oh, man. If you, uh, it's hard to find the original image, but if you are a member of the Jupiter Broadcasting Telegram group, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash telegram. Uh, see, this came out yesterday, so Tuesday morning. If you scroll back to Tuesday morning in the Telegram thread, if, if it'll go back that far, you can see a screenshot that I did, Cap. If you are curious, uh, of course, then we'll know you joined for the screen cap, you dirty bird. But I totally condone it because there's also uh, some other really funny reactions that I grabbed and also pasted in there. That's at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash telegram. All right. So I have uh, I have a montage here for you. I thought we'd go out on a montage. I'm not going to go. For, I don't, we won't go for too long because I don't want to melt your brain. And I believe this is a weaponized clip. I believe I now contain within the Unfilter Archive... Which, if you are a supporter at the level where you get the uh, supporter sync, I guess I'm also now an arms distributor because you have it as well. Holy crap. Ladies and gentlemen, I present the clip of all clips that if the CIA got their hands on, they would weaponize and make it a mind-melting device. It's Hillary Clinton blaming everyone and everything for the 2016 loss. Hillary Rodham Clinton has spent the last 10 months trying to figure out why... She isn't president of the United States. I'm not Buckle going up. to uh, step back from telling my truth. The idea of a woman president, white, authoritarian, that there was something that was personal toward me, the Russians weaponizing information, negative stories about me, this whole WikiLeaks of John Podesta's emails. They were taken out of context. We now know Facebook, voter suppression, feeds in I think, to the whole sexism and misogyny. And the attacks were so sexist. A lot of the sexism and the misogyny, and then let's not forget sexism and 
misogyny. We really don't want a woman commander in chief. Nostalgia. Yeah, millions of white people. The forces that were at work, it was a perfect storm using personal email. Presented in such a negative way, I don't know quite what audience he was playing to. Right-wing commentators, right-wing members of Congress. But for that Comey letter, she would have won. So badly damaged because of that. Election. 11 days before the election, it just stopped my momentum. Are you getting it? Sense of that. There was anger and there was resentment. A Are you getting it? didn't want to hear my plans. Trump was behaving in a deplorable manner. Large number of people who didn't care. Oh, but they were already. Oh, thank you for joining us for episode 251 of your Unfiltered program. Hopefully the whole live version's over at patreon.com slash unfiltered. We'd also love your support. Keep an eye out on the schedule because I got no idea what's coming up. Love your faces. And I hope, I hope, but I'm not sure. But I sure hope I'll see you within the next week or two. New York's going to be crazy. Thanks for being here. See you later. I think it's wasted effort. OMG, OMG, OMG. Reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time.